0: Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it, too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, the NFL season is creeping closer. Teams are starting to get back to work. So are we. This week, we'll be joined by the 49ers franchise kicker, Robbie Gold, who signed a four-year, $19 million extension Monday afternoon and joined us right after to talk about that deal and his hopes for the coming season. And we'll be joined by ESPN analyst Keyshawn Johnson, who's cousins with Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas. Keyshawn talks about why Michael Thomas deserves to be the highest-paid wide receiver in the game. And to round out this week's podcast, we'll be joined by my new friend, the former NFL wide receiver Isaiah Stanback, who has a daughter fighting type 1 diabetes, much like my wife, Isaiah, and I spent some time together last week in Washington at the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation's Children's Congress in Washington, D.C., trying to raise funds and awareness for type 1 diabetics across the world. But first... Robbie Gold. Joining us now, the man that has reached agreement on a new two year, $10.5 million fully guaranteed contract that could turn into a four year, $19 million contract. 49ers franchise kicker, Robbie Gold. And Robbie, I have to say, first of all, thank you for joining us. Secondly, I wasn't sure that we were going to get to this point where we were talking about you as a 49er for the next two, three or four seasons here.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on this show. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, to be honest, I didn't know uh, if it was going to get done either. They kind of started talking on Sunday. Um, I was out at the American Century Championship golfing, and uh, by the time I landed this morning, um, all the language and everything and financials kind of came together. Uh, I'm pretty thankful for the organization. They made a really aggressive push to get something done before the deadline, and I'm um, pretty excited to go back to San Francisco and get ready to play some football.
0: Bigger news that you're going to be back in San Francisco or bigger news that you won't be kicking the season for the Chicago bears as many bears fans hoped.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a tough situation for sure. Uh, you know, Chicago's home for me. Um, I'll, I have a permanent house here. Chicago will always be home. Um, you yeah, know, I love the organization. I played here for 11 years I'm an all time leading scorer. Um, you know, it's just been kind of a weird offseason. You know, there's a bunch of storylines that have happened. And, um, you know, who knows what would have happened if something didn't get done. But um, like I said, the 49ers stepped up big time to get this done. And they stepped outside the box and they had an open mind. And uh, we were able to get something done today, which is kind of nice.
0: Robbie, you said it was an off season of weird storylines. What stands out most to you about those weird storylines?
1: You know, it's just uh, one day you think you're a free agent. The next thing you're um, you're getting franchise tagged, and then you don't know if you're going to be back there because you know they're thinking about signing another kicker. And then you know you go into uh, the mini-camp and get to the deadline, and you know nothing really happened until um, late last night and this morning, and. You know, it's just uh, kind of a roller coaster of emotions. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to go? You know, the big thing for me is that um, I wanted to be close to my family. Um, And in the beginning of this entire conversation with the 49ers, they knew that it would have to take at least two years to fully guarantee a contract for me to come back. And um, they were able to make that happen. And, uh, you know, I think what we have in that locker room is pretty special. And I'm excited to get back out there around the guys and, you know, we have 10 days to training camp, so uh, it's been nice to be around my family. It's been nice to be around uh, my wife and kids, taking them to their sports and school, and you know, focus on my training. And uh, I know for sure I'll be ready to play come the 25th.
0: You bring up being close to your family, your wife, your children. I believe they're in the Chicago area somewhere. How are you going to work that with you now having a long-term contract? Will they stay behind while you're in San Francisco kicking away?
1: Will they come with you? What happens then? Uh, because, well, because we got a deal done so late, my uh, family's going to stay in Chicago. Um, my oldest son is going to be going into kindergarten and we enrolled him in school. So uh, he, they're going to stay here. They'll kind of travel to and from just for this year. And then, um, like I said, Chicago's always going to be home. I'll be here in the off seasons and um, in the summer between breaks. And for me, uh, Chicago's where I'm going to live full-time, uh, even after football. So um they probably won't be out uh full-time with me this year just based on getting a deal done late but um next year they'll probably be out there uh for the season for sure
0: how much of a premium did you place on this deal knowing that if the deal got done now as it did that your family would be behind in chicago while you would be out on the coast
1: Well, as the date pushed further and further towards training camp uh you know we had to make some decisions to give my oldest son stability and put him in school and make sure that he had a spot to go and uh where we wanted to send him and you know like I said I didn't expect to get a deal done um and I'm happy and thankful that it did get done so it's a good problem to have right so uh for a couple months uh we'll be away from each other but uh, the schedule's set up kind of nice, you know, we have Labor Day weekend, we got a break, we got a bye week at week four, uh, we have a Thursday night in the middle of the season, and then uh, my wife will probably come out a couple times in between each of those, so, um, you know, it's exciting, exciting to to have the security, it's exciting to, to be back in a place with a young locker room, and, uh, you know, I think a, a very athletic and talented group of individuals, and Um, you know, I'm excited to get back into the locker room and say hello to all the guys.
0: What are your expectations for this 49ers team this season?
1: Well, listen, we got a great young core. You know, we have a lot of great young players. You know, George Kittle had a heck of a year last year stepping up for us. Uh, I think you'll see some other young guys step up. We get Jared McKinnon and Jimmy G back, which will be awesome. Um, I'm pretty excited to see the Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard competition. Um we added some really key defensive pieces uh to the pass rush which should, you know, help us a lot um on the back end and you know, we got a couple guys that can, can play a, at the secondary position which gives us not only depth but gives us competition and anytime you have that type of competition it breeds success and um you know, I haven't been around any of the young guys and the new guys uh yet, so I'm excited to see uh, what kind of talent they got in this draft class, and see how competitive it's going to be. And you know I think the expectation is we're going to go in there and work hard and win some football games.
0: You bring up some of those injured teammates, right? Where are Jimmy Garoppolo and Jarek McKinnon from what you've seen, the limited viewing that you've had of them, with what you know with this franchise right now? We expect to see them full strength this year, big contribute, big contributions. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, as far as I've seen from afar, I haven't really talked to those guys much, but it looks like uh, from what I hear, Jimmy G's going to be full go, which would be uh, great to get him back. And then uh, I'm sure Jet's right there with him because Jet had done his uh, ACL a couple weeks prior to Mm -hmm. to Jimmy G. So um, to get those guys back and have that kind of talent and athleticism at the running back position that not only can he catch the football out of the backfield, but um, to run the football the way he does and help us uh, offensively. I mean, our running back position is probably the deepest position on our team right now. So um, it's going to be fun to watch, you know, all four or five of those guys kind of battle for a position on the team.
0: Is there one back that has impressed you most of that group, being there's so much depth there, Robbie? And I guess I'm looking for a little fancy football insight here, I guess.
1: Well, you know, it's kind of unique, you know, the positions that uh come up in the National Football League, that third, maybe fourth running back if you keep them, has to be a big contributor to special teams. So a guy like Raheem Mostert's it's a guy I would look out for. Uh, he's a Pro Bowl caliber special teams player. Um, and then you got really four or five guys at that position that could start and probably contribute in a bunch of different ways. So, um, you know, I haven't been around the team this offseason, so I don't know exactly what they're doing at that position. But when you look from afar uh, and see the, the level of, Uh, talent that these guys have that can help with Kyle's offense and moving the ball, Uh, you got to be pretty excited to go out there and see what they're going to be able to do together.
0: Now, i got to ask you, what advice would you have for young kickers out there? We see so much instability in this league, kickers losing confidence, and you're a guy who over the last three years has gone 10 of 10 in the fourth quarter when the score has been tied or your team has been down by three or fewer points. You're clutch in the fourth quarter when the game is close. You're the second Highest field goal kicking percentage of all time, eighty-seven point seven percent. Behind only Justin Tucker at ninety point one. Why is there so? Why are there so many young kickers struggling, while you, from your vantage point, continue to just plow ahead?
1: Well, I think it. I think it's become one of the most important positions in football. You know, uh, there is only one kicker on the roster, and those guys. You could have seventy plays on offense and defense, but there could be one kick that. Either makes or breaks your team from being in the playoffs, right? So, you know, you got to thrive on game-winning kicks. You got to thrive on fourth-quarter kicks, and you got to be uh, excited. And you have to be mentally capable to handle any situation. And you know, I think it's just uh, more so now than ever. I just think that there's a lot of young kickers coming in that don't they don't get that ability to kind of grow. Uh, because it could cost a general manager's job or a head coach their job and cost the team to playoffs or a Super Bowl victory. So I think it's, you know, one of those positions that maybe a few years ago the kicking position kind of got looked over because we can score 50 points and a uh, defense can carry it to the Super Bowl. Uh, but now I think more than ever it's just it's one of those situations where um, the youth – uh, and the talent that's come out hasn't gotten the ability to to grow and hasn't had the ability to develop. And um, it's great for older guys, uh, but you still got to put up uh, the numbers and produce, and uh, I think you just don't see that, hey, we're going to give them a, a year to kind of develop because teams want to win now.
0: You know, I believe that's one of the reasons the 49ers gave you the contract they did, Robbie, because I think they see themselves as a playoff contender that's going to be involved in a lot of close games. And if you're in these close games, you want a kicker who's got an 87.7% career field goal percentage as well as a guy who hasn't missed when the game has been on the line in the fourth quarter of the last three years. And I think because this team is so close, it felt compelled to pay you the way it did. Not that you didn't deserve it and earn it. You did. But they felt like a great kicker could make the difference between going to the playoffs or not going to the playoffs. Have you That idea occurred to you at all?
1: Uh, you know, I think it was a, a handful of different things, you know. I think it uh, was a lot to do with when you're in contention for the playoffs or you're hovering around maybe what you think would be the playoff record. Um, yeah, you want a guy down the stretch that's going to make kicks. I also think that our division's very difficult, and um, we're fortunate enough from this year and at least next year for sure, Um, to have the ability to to carry the the cap hit that uh, they were able to give me and um, I think uh, in the short term it's great and uh, I'm looking forward to kicking really well for them in the next two years and hopefully I'll be there a little longer Um, but for sure I know I'll be there for two years and hopefully we can make a playoff run and I'm sure um, that weighed heavily on the team and you know, it, I think it's kind of a, a perfect marriage. You know, these guys, um, there was a lot that had happened this off season, um, between both of us in negotiations, as most negotiations go. And, and, you know, it's a it's a great place to be a player, not only on the field, but off the field. And I think they've done a lot of great things uh, in the community, which I really enjoy. And, um, you know, kicking there is a lot of fun. And we've got a great division and a lot of rivalries. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to get started.
0: So I'm sure that when you agreed upon this deal, you probably called up some of the people in the 49ers because of the craziness of the off season. What was your message to them once you spoke to them?
1: I just said thanks. You know, I know it's been a crazy 17 months. I know that there's a lot that's happened. There's a lot that's been said and done on both ends. But I'm glad it's done. I'm glad we can put this behind us. And I'm excited to start playing football and go win a championship.
0: Before I let you go, Robbie, I guess I've heard some rumblings about a golf invention that you've created what can you share with me and the audience about a new golf invention that you've come up with
1: yeah so one of my new uh uh we created a golf app uh, called eventlify and uh that's taken up a good bit of my time this off season two which was kind of nice to be able to help develop this software and uh we help uh, organizations and companies run golf outings and been exciting to be a part of and it's been exciting to meet new people and help them raise money for charity or uh, help them market and brand their events to help raise more money and um, it's been something that's been kind of unique because I love the golf space but there's also a market space for it and it's been great to get that up and running. How does the golf app work? What does it do? Uh, uh, It basically runs uh, your website, uh, your registrations and credit card processing for um any event that you may have and uh we're usually there to consult all our clients and help them come up with ideas to raise more money and um it's been un- it's been unique uh to say the least but it's been awesome to help uh, organizations come up with ideas on the course to raise more money or ways to market or brand themselves on their customizable websites and um you know it's been it's been a lot of fun to be a part of and see these charities kind of flourish does
0: that grow out of being in the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, or is that something that would happen had you been in Chicago anyway?
1: It would have happened anyways. I started because I had two golf events I was doing in one week, and it was all done by like spreadsheets and Microsoft Word documents and emails, and I had to get back at 10 p.m. to people, and uh, we built it to kind of ease the process and help people manage their events on the fly, at, no matter where they were at. And, Uh, It's kind of nice whenever somebody calls you that you can answer their question right away and not have to wait six hours for an answer.
0: Well, you're an entrepreneur, you're a kicker, and you're now a franchise player who's landed a new four-year contract. So congratulations on everything, Robbie, and I really appreciate taking the time. Wish you the best of luck this season, and good luck to the 49ers in making it back to the
1: postseason. Thanks for having us, Adam. I appreciate it, and thanks for being a dear friend. All right, now
0: we welcome in, my friend, and welcome back to Bristol, <laughs> the former number 1 overall pick, former Sunday countdown analyst, now in L.A., hosting a morning sports talk drive-time show in the morning, right? Yeah. Now.
2: Oh, yeah, it's fun, Adam. You, you know, it's
0: Keyshawn Johnson. It's Keyshawn, Travis, and LZ. Joining us here from L.A., and we are thrilled and honored to have you back in Bristol. I am thrilled
2: and honored to be back here.
0: Well, it's great to be in Bristol in July, Key, right?
2: I know. As I was was, was driving up from the city, the first thing I was saying to myself, how pretty it was, the weather, clear skies, you know, because in the month of December, November, October, November, December for us, January, it was always cold and it was snow the time of year that I would come up. This is the first time I think that I've been up here this time of year other than when we did the preseason shows, which was better part of August, Opposed to July. I don't think I've ever been in Bristol in the month of July. Isn't
0: it amazing how much this place changes whenever you get back here? Like, if you've been away for a while... There's always construction. There's always changes, right?
2: Always. I drove down the as I got off the highway and I came down. There was a new Marriott hotel. There was a Popeyes chicken, and I just start laughing. I'm like, every time I come, it just
0: continues to keep growing. Every single time. There's always construction. So what is going on in the LA sports scene these days? Anything other than <laughs> other than
2: other than every time we look up, we get a new a new player in the Laker land or the Clipper land. That's the biggest the biggest news right now. Obviously, are the two
0: basketball teams there, the Clippers and the Lakers. It's incredible. It's pretty wild. So, which team we like better this upcoming season, the Clippers or the Lakers? The Clippers well, with Kawhi and Paul George, or the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis and all the other spare parts that got going. I, I,
2: I'm a Laker fan, diehard, born and raised, bleed purple and gold. Uh, the Clippers are an L.A. stepchild. Even if they, even if they did acquire Kawhi and picked up Paul George to trade, it's still it's the Clippers. I mean, it's just a you know, I, I get it. I get the hope. I get that it's new era in town. I get that Steve Ballmer is the the owner, and Doc Rivers and Jerry West. I get all that, but it's still the Clippers. It's, it's just like a New York thing. It's the Mets. They're going to always be the Mets. The Nets acquired the, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, Durant, but they're the Nets. Even though the Knicks are bad, it's the Knicks. And so that's when you look at it, people are going to always gravitate toward the historical, legendary purple and gold of the Lakers. The Clippers will have their moments. They had a shot at taking over L.A. or trying to put a dent in L.A. when they had Chris Paul and all those guys. But they couldn't even get out of the second round. So it was kind of like, what is this going to really be? I know we're excited about Kawhi coming coming from winning a championship in Toronto, now coming to L.A. and everybody's like, oh.
0: But I'm like, y'all got to slow down for a little bit. Is there hope, do you think, that the Lakers could go and win the championship this season? Are they that good? I think they I think it's gonna
2: come it's gonna be between the Clippers and the Lakers, uh out west and then on the east coast, you still got Philadelphia and Milwaukee, that's kinda the two teams out east. So when you look at the Lakers uh roster they constructed and you talk about guys like LeBron and A. D. But you forget about guys like Carl Kuzma, you forget about guys like Boogie Cousins healthy in shape. That, that's a steal win for them. They paid him, I think, like 2 and a half to $3 million. They got him on a cheap, on a prove-me deal. So when you got that type of guy with that type of ability and is motivated, I would think that the Lakers have to be the favorite. Do you like the team, what they did? I do. I do like the team and what they did because, you know, everybody kept saying they need a third star, third star, third star. Well, Kyle Kuzma is a pretty damn good player. You didn't have to get Kawhi Leonard. Kyle, Kyle Kuzma's right there. So Boogie Cousins, Kyle Kuzma, second unit, LeBron A. D. first unit, Rondo's there, and they could potentially pick up Chris Paul. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they're looking at that.
0: I'm sure they're trying to figure out a way to do it. The question there is financially, right? He's got three years, hundred and twenty four million dollars left in his contract in Oklahoma City. It's hard to imagine Chris Paul actually suiting up for the Thunder. This season, I don't know how that plays out. I'm not smart enough NBA wise <laughs> financially, but somehow they got to figure out a way to get him back to LA. I, I
2: don't think that Chris Paul will suit up for OKC. I think he'll be on the move here shortly. Um, but what does that mean? Does that mean that the Lakers? I, I don't know. I don't know all the rules and regulations about the NBA much like you. But it, can the Lakers buy? You know, here's 30 million. We'll pay some of it in cash or whatever. Trade him us. I, I don't know, but I'm sure. If I'm a betting man that Rob Polinka, Jeannie Buss, and his that whole crew is trying to figure out how to get Chris Paul in a Lakers
0: uniform. You now you brought up the Clippers and the Lakers. That Western conference in the NBA is loaded. The yeah. Jazz are really got, good. The Nuggets are really good. The Warriors are still the Warriors, even though they've lost some key people here. Houston, the Trailblazers, you know. Great teams. Dallas.
2: Um Sacramento's got a lot Sacramento's of Sacramento's getting talent. better. You know, so when you look at it, a young Phoenix team, you know, they wasn't great last year, but they're young and they're coming. So the
0: Western Conference is a pretty good conference. Loaded. It's going to be tough for either one of those LA teams, I think, to get out of there. Now, the other thing going on in LA is you got great running backs there, but there's major <laughs> questions about each running back. We got Todd Gurley's knee and we got Melvin Gordon's contract. What's your take on each of those two issues?
2: Well, I think Todd Gurley's knee is a situation where it it seems to be chronical. It seems to be a problem all the time. Um, You hold him out of training camp. They hold people out anyway, the Rams. That's just what they do. He won't play in the preseason, and you see where he's at week one. And then from there, you just wear him out. Wear him out as much as you can if I'm the Rams. I'm going to use him as much and as I can. And he got paid. He got his money. Yeah, so what's the difference, right? So now right? you just wear him out. You just take him and just wear him out, and it's a win-win for them. It's a win-win for him. In terms of Melvin Garden situation, here's a guy I believe has two years left Two years left on his contract, meaning this year and one more, right? They could franchise him next year. This is the fifth
0: year option. Yeah, they could franchise him next year. So I
2: call that two years because they're not going to let him walk. So if he sits out on a $5.5 million or so um, franchise or fifth year option, then they tag him next year. Then they could tag him the next year after that. So he's basically in a situation where he's there for three years. So the whole trade me or pay me situation I wouldn't necessarily go as far as that. You have to know your value just because you see another guy get some money from another team doesn't necessarily make it that you now got to go in and get the same amount of money because they may not value you the same. The value for the Chargers may be Mike Williams and Phillip Rivers. That may, that may be their value. They may feel like, okay, you're a running back. You touch the football 20 times a game. Yeah, he averaged 5.1 yards a carry, but at the same time, did he? was he really that impactful? They did go four and0 four and0 or five and0, I believe, without him in the lineup. and they were a good team without him. They'd be a better team with him No no, no you always want better players. you there's no question. I'm always for a guy getting his money, but I'm also a guy from a management business standpoint in the front office. I also understand that you have to sacrifice and do certain things when
0: you're running a team. You've made great business decisions over time. Try what, to. <laughs> what would you tell Melvin Gordon? about his current situation, and what would be your recommendation to him with him being in the spot that he's in?
2: My recommendation would be just sit tight, let's go into training camp, let's go play, and we'll work on a deal as we're playing. Because you you can't pull a Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell sitting out $14.5 million, he'll never get that money back. That money's gone. It was gone. I mean, if if Le'Veon Bell would have played a year ago, he would have still gotten the same amount of money, in my opinion, that he got from the New York Jets in free agency but he would have picked up an extra $14 million or so if he'd have played for the Steelers. Now there's a risk because he could have gotten hurt, but you you don't think about it from that aspect as a player. Oh, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt. I would tell Melvin Gordon, you should go to training camp. You should participate and let's work on the deal. Because when, when you do those sort of things, management is, is a little looser in terms of trying to work with you on some sort of structure to get something done. But when you back him in a corner, when they have three years of potentially franchising you after your option year twice, you make you kind of you know, you kinda put a sour taste in their mouth.
0: Well let me give you the flip side of that though. You're a running back, you're scheduled to make five point six million dollars, a New Deal would bring in a lot more than the five six. At running back, you're one play away from risking no, your career.
2: No question, Adam, but if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm I'm Engage, and you like me, and I like you. I have to trust Tom uh, T- Telesco. Telesco, I have to trust Tom Telesco in 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 the Spanos family that we're going to get something done. I need to be able to trust it. If I can't trust it, and you can't trust the fact that I'm going to be the running back that you drafted and you coveted and you it, then our relationship is none. You know, it's got to be a trust factor there. But sitting out and doing those sort of things is not going, in my opinion. Not going to get him that money because they don't rely on it's different than a Todd Gurley. It's different than an Emmitt Smith was because that offense ran behind Emmitt Smith. Mm-hmm. No matter how dominant the offensive line was, the Dallas Cowboys and you remember Emmitt Smith held out and they yep. w- went zero two. But that's different. Todd Gurley essentially healthy is the reason Jared Goff was Jared Goff, not
0: just Sean McVay. You say Todd Gurley healthy? Any concerns that he's not going to be healthy enough to get through the full season? Uh, I
2: think it could come back. I think from a doctor standpoint and a team standpoint, they're doing everything to kind of nurture, uh, preserve those 16 games by not wearing him out in mini camps and OTAs, by not playing him in the summer, by not letting him go through training camp and, and uh, preseason games, just trying to get to the first game of the season. The first game of the season is the most important. If, if he gets to the first game of the season, then you can put him on a somewhat of a pitch count. You know, you, you put him in a situation where you call the games different now. You call them to get up so now you can rely on somebody else. That's, that's the way
0: I would call it. Mm. He affects the play calling for sure, 100%. We're talking money. Your nephew, the Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas, has been in talks to get a new deal that some say will be done before he goes to training camp. What? would you be willing to pay Michael Thomas for this and coming seasons um the highest paid receiver he would he would get
2: the highest paid money whatever that average is I think I think it's around 18 million or whatever so give him a million dollars more give him a million and a half dollars more because somebody's going to jump him anyway whether it's a Julio Jones or whether it's some receiver, Amari, like, Cooper. Amari Cooper, somebody that I'm not even thinking about, this young, AJ Green, AJ, yeah, well, maybe. I mean, they may have to do it. AJ's kind of slowing down to me a little bit, but they may have to do it just because it, they have to do it. I don't know. But I would make him the highest paid receiver, um, and I would just, yeah, I would make him the highest paid receiver. There's nothing to, what, what what are you challenging? What are you what are you saying? Well, we're the New Orleans Saints. We We never pay people. This is who we are.
0: What about Michael Thomas's game has surprised you? You've tracked him. You've seen this. Has any of this surprised you, or did you expect this?
2: <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy now, Adam. I expected it 100%. I mean, if you go back and you asked our boss, Seth Markman, I was telling Seth about Mikey from day one. I mean, I, I told Sean Payton about him from day one. I mean, I told Urban Meyer about him from day one, that here's a guy who is so possessed at becoming in, in an elite guy at that position that he did, nobody's going to outwork him. Nobody's going to outphysical him. I mean, you know, everybody's, oh, he's not the fastest guy in the world. Well, like, what speed demons really, you know, what, what, and I have this conversation with people all the time, fast receivers aren't the best ones. Guys that can run, it's great. I mean, yeah, we get a Randy Moss once in every 19,000 years. Outside of Randy Moss, think about it, Adam, who is fast? Every, every receiver you can think about are sub four five guys. They're, whether it's Antonio Brown, whether it's Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham's not a four three guy. Mm. You know, Antonio Brown wasn't a four three guy. So when you look at that position outside of Randy Moss, which is a four three guy at six foot five, 200 plus pounds, other than that, you're not going to, you, you're just getting guys that Jerry Rice. Tyreek Hill. A Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he's fast. But he's different. Tyreek Hill is more of a specialist than he is a pure wide receiver, so it's a little bit different there. And they, Tyreek Hill, is a specialist to the point where they actually have to game plan for him to get the football. Where Mikey, Julio Jones, myself, we fit into any system. You you dial up a play, we go to the backside one on one, we beat our man. You know that that that's the difference in that type of receiver. Where a guy like Tyreek Hill who's a little undersized but can pick him up and put him down, is more of a gadget-type
0: player. When the Saints do give Michael Thomas a new contract, let's call it $20 million a year, when they give him $20 million a year, how is that going to make you feel and what's going to go through your mind being that you made all the money you did, but you didn't make $20 million a year? <laughs> I can't
2: count somebody else's money, though, right, <laughs> Adam? You, What I made was a significant amount at that time. Um, you know, I was once the highest paid receiver, I believe once one of the top five play- paid players in the league at the time. So you you look at it, you go, Well, my era was my era, I did what I was supposed to do. It it make it'll make me smile because that is for him will be uh wealth beyond imaginable. I mean, if he's averaging twenty million dollars a year, you figure his first four years will be close to eighty million dollars of guaranteed money and all he has to do then is just put it in the bank and continue to play
0: football. And will he ask you for advice okay now that I have my new deal what would you recommend doing? No, no.
2: He's he's he has a dad. Um he's a, a smart kid, graduated from Ohio State. He knows what to do. He surrounded himself with good people around him, so he knows what to do. What
0: most impresses you about Michael Thomas's game?
2: Well, I think his uh, again, it's his perseverance, it's his, his his want to a lot of guys say they want to, but they don't become. Um, He is just a continual, relentless worker. He hasn't gotten caught up in the -the off-the-field hype, which means that you're not going to see him on all the red carpets. He's not trying to go to New York City every week. He's not trying to go to Miami every week. I mean, he's like actually working and training and lifting, where you see a lot of other players in leagues. That's what they're supposed to be, stars, and they seek attention they seek these sort of things where i've tried to tell him to allow it to come to you it will come to you if you're good you don't have to go out there and you know and pick up the damn cell phone out of the 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 ground you don't have to do that because your play will speak for itself you did not like that i wasn't happy i just wasn't it didn't it is that's not my part of it is that was never my style Mm -hmm. i never was a guy that did those sort of things so yeah, I just looked at it, and it was like, you know.
0: What would Bill Parcells have done if you ever pulled out a cell phone from the goalpost? Well, the he would.
2: He it would certainly be a problem. That's one of the reasons <laughs> I think I would have never done it, because the coaches that I've been around probably wouldn't have had it. And I don't think Sean Payton was happy. I mean, Sean knows that that's his his uh, personality, but I don't think Sean was extremely happy with it at all. He's <laughs> going to support his player,
0: though. Key, before I let you go, and I thank you very much for the time, Give me your Super Bowl prediction oh God, for the 2019 Adam, you're season. You're killing me. I haven't
2: even gotten there. You're like the first person to ask me that.
0: <laughs> well, well, listen, i like ever a little me. bit ahead of things if I can.
2: I, I would say the New Orleans Saints and the Kansas City Chiefs will be in the Super Bowl. That'd be a great Super Bowl, wouldn't it? But the only thing that scares me about Kansas City, they retooled some of the defense. But they were a different team without Kareem Hunt in the lineup, and he's not there now. He's in Cleveland. So they were just a different team without him. I don't know if you noticed that or not, that they— It kind of changed a little bit of what they were doing. Hmm. But I, I think right now it would be Kansas. If I'm a betting man, it's going to be Kansas City and New Orleans. I think New Orleans obviously got the raw deal last year against the Rams. That changes this year. They won't be put in that position.
0: Keisha, nice to see you back in Bristol. Nice to see you at all. Yeah. Well, Anywhere. Forget I'm about glad, back in Bristol. I'm glad it's not snowing, though. <laughs> Thanks for the time today. All righty. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash A-S-P. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash A-S-P. ZipRecruiter.com slash A-S-P. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, now joining us, my new friend, who I had never met before until last week when we both found ourselves in Washington, D.C., to try to raise funds and awareness for type 1 diabetes, a cause near and dear to the both of us, the former NFL Wide receiver Isaiah Stanback. Isaiah, thanks for the time today.
3: I appreciate you having me on. Man. How you doing?
0: Hey, that was great to meet you last week. I'm amazed that we had never met before. <laughs> uh, you could be in the NFL with the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Giants, the Jaguars, and we never yeah.
3: met. Yeah, man. I was flying under the radar.
0: <laughs> you were flying under the radar, but last week you came out from under the radar. And it is a great cause that you were there for, that I was there for. Children's Congress in Washington, yeah. D.C., and for those who don't know it, basically it gathered together all these children who are type 1 diabetics, including your adorable daughter, mm-hmm. Nadia. She is cute. Yeah. She's cute. Appreciate you. <laughs> and there were about a 100 and – I would say 170 yeah, 100. kids, right, Isaiah? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think all we're 1, type 6, 5 1 5 diabetics, all type 1 diabetics, all there in Washington, all there to meet with congressmen. And to try to raise funds for what is a a, a tough disease for everyone to battle. What was that yeah. experience like for you in Washington last week?
3: It was absolutely awesome. Um, it was awesome. First of all, from perspective of a parent uh, of a daughter with, me, with type one diabetes, you know, getting her in an environment where she's around you know other people who are like her, you know, so often, um, and especially at a young age. She got diagnosed at three. She's now seven. Growing up, you know, with that disease, you know, when you're in the school system, when you're at birthday parties, when you're hanging out, you know, you're always isolated. So anytime you can see her really just be herself and be free-spirited amongst people who are dealing with the same thing as her, it's awesome. But then, obviously, them all coming together um, to bring awareness and to, and obviously lobby for for, for funding for, for, you know, for ultimately a cure for what they're dealing with every day. Um, it, it was it was obviously, you know, it's a double-on-double double win. What was that
0: like for you? When your daughter, Nadia, was diagnosed at the age of three with type 1 diabetes?
3: It was tough, man. Uh, that was, that was, I was angry. You know, I was very angry as a parent. Um, you know, everything I've ever done in my life, you know, you know whether it's sports or business, I've always been able to control the outcome for the most part, right? Um, I had a ton of injuries and things, but I could overcome those. You know, but when your daughter, you know, who didn't do anything wrong, gets gets handed handed down something, um that that ultimately can affect you know how long she's on this earth um it you know it cuts you real deep as a parent it cuts you really deep as a parent and um you know it just it hurt at first it made me angry but you know then to changed my mindset back to a competitor and be like, hey you know we compete and what we're gonna do is we're gonna kick its butt every day you know and you know just try to continue to give her confidence and empower her to be able to go out here and, and fight her battle
0: now you've had experience with this disease correct like it has been a part of your family your business world can you fill me in a little in that area?
3: Yeah. So it, uh, uh, it it's affected my wife, my wife, Natalie, she, uh, it's ran in her family. So she's lost an uncle to it. Her brother's battling it, you know, really tough right now. He's, um, you know, he's, he's on, he's on the waiting list for a transplant. Um, and, you know, so it's affected her her life drastically, you know, her entire life. But then uh, me personally here, you know, not only does my daughter have it, not only does my brother-in-law have it, but also my business partner. Uh, you know, here Steph has Fitness Performance. My business partner, Jared Harrison, he has it. He got diagnosed while he was in college, you know, shortly after his mom got diagnosed with cancer. So, um, you know, we I'm, I'm surrounded about it, around it. You know, I'm, I'm at work all day long and then I go home and I'm with my daughter and it's literally a part of my life um, every hour of the day.
0: You know, it's amazing. My wife, Shari, is a type 1 diabetic, which is why I was in Washington last week taking part in that Children's Congress function yeah. for the three days. And I guess we have similar stories in the sense that prior to me getting married to my wife, I didn't mm-hmm. know all that much about type yeah. 1 diabetes. So you marry your wife, Natalie. You have yep. your daughter, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Your brother-in-law has type 1 diabetes. Your daughter's diagnosed with diabetes. Yep. Your business partner has diabetes. Yeah. So what has it been like for you to basically go on an educational crash yeah. course to learn about this disease?
3: It's very enlightening. Man. Um, you know, like you said, we, we we had no experience. You know, we may have heard about it. You know, we were probably um, miss <laughs> we probably misunderstood it, just as many people in the country do. Which is okay. We just need to continue to push for education. Type two diabetes and type one diabetes are very different mm-hmm. uh, diseases. Both are are, are tough to, to deal with, obviously. But um, type one is something that's affecting us, and this is something that they they deal with every single day. But also their support systems, right? So you know, you you obviously being a husband for for your wife, uh, me, uh, being a brother-in-law, me being a brother in law, me being you know uh, one of my best friends. And business partner, my daughter. This is something that we deal with every minute of the day. There is no relaxing, right? There, I mean, blood sugars spikes, but blood, blood sugars fall. Um, you know, yesterday, for instance, my daughter's blood sugar just was high. You know, it was high, and then she, you know, she was ended up throwing up because her blood sugar was so high. You mm-hmm. know, and it wouldn't come down. Insulin wasn't working fast enough, right? And we're mixing technology and. And, you know, and, and insulin and trying to see what works best. And we're trying to see, hey, is it working out going to bring their blood sugar down? Is drinking water? Like there's so much science to it and everybody's body reacts differently. And it's one of those things you just, it's very draining. It's very taxing. Um, and, you you know, it's, it's, as much as we deal with it, they deal with it every second of the day, right? And they have so much time they get burned. You hear about that burnout. They just want to take a break. You know, they want to take a break from having to manage their life. You know, literally, did their lives, and they can't. You know, and they really can't. You know, people think about how they get burnt out from work, and you know, I just need a vacation. Yeah, imagine dealing with that every second of the day, and you can't take a vacation. It's, right? It's it's it's,
0: it's always there. Basically, yeah. uh, type one diabetics, their pancreas doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't work. They have a, they have a dead pancreas, basically. Yep. And so you are living with that every moment of every day, where, as you mentioned, uh, your sugars go high, your sugars go low. It affects yeah. what you can do, what you think, how yeah. you act, everything. And yeah. when we were there last week, for people who haven't seen it, I put a picture of these little kids on my Instagram account. <laughs> and yeah. and as I'm going through, scrolling through, and I posted the video last Tuesday morning, and it's a bunch of kids in their Children's Congress JDRF shirts, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, You go through that video, and there's your daughter holding a teddy bear, waving her hand. She's adorable, but you look at all these kids, and they're all type ones. And I will just say that being around these kids, their courage, their attitude is remarkable. And to see so many people all fighting the same disease with everybody trying to find improvements to live with the disease, a cure... For the yeah. disease which doesn't exist, it was inspiring to yeah. be around so many kids like your daughter and like all the children in that video.
3: Most definitely, yeah, no, they're they're awesome, man. They're they they have their their wheels are out of this world. Um, they've been through so much more than even adults have been through, right? Um, and they're they're continuing to, to be great examples um, not only for their peers but obviously for all of us that are you know, what about our our daily lives? We we don't have much to complain about, that's for sure.
0: Isaiah, bring us up to date on your career, your life since you played in the NFL in 2012 for the Jaguars. For those who don't know, uh, you started out as a fourth-round pick in 2007 for the Dallas Cowboys, a couple of years there. You're in New England, you're in Seattle uh, with the Giants, the Jaguars. What have you been doing since your NFL career ended?
3: Yeah, man, so obviously, you know, I had a lot of ups and downs in my career. I ended up having five surgeries, I was blessed to win a Super Bowl with the Giants, and that was awesome, uh, but you know, I realized pretty quickly that you know all the injuries I sustained, I wasn't never going to have the opportunity to get that big contract. So I went back and got my MBA from George Washington University um, and transitioned into starting my own business, which is uh, Steadfast Fitness and Performance. started that in 2013. Mm-hmm. I expanded it three years later, uh, so I've been running that for six years, so in addition to facilitating that owning that i'm also doing public speaking um like you saw me last week not only was i there as a parent i was also also there you know on behalf of jdrf talking to some of their corporate sponsors um obviously as we're trying to raise funds to find that to find a cure so i'm doing a lot of public speaking now and you know just trying to continue to use a uh, use my platform and to affect change positively when you
0: do your public speaking what is your message
3: yeah, so I mean, a lot of my stuff, a lot of my speaking comes from a form of adversity, right? So it depends on the type, on the group that I'm speaking with, but from my experience, I faced a lot of adversity. Um, you know, a lot of leadership um, perspective. I was a quarterback in college. I was quarterback and receiver with New England, so I've had a lot of leadership training. I a lot. Of, I was blessed to play for a lot of the great organizations. Played with a lot of great Hall of Famers. So I have that perspective. I have the perspective of being a businessman. I have the perspective of being an athlete. Um, so I'm able to provide a, um, you know, a, a wide a wide spectrum um, and be able to speak to a lot of different groups. now. So it's it's been awesome. I look forward to doing more speaking and speaking to more groups on that, to the trip to D.C. and talking to those corporate sponsors was absolutely awesome. Um, and I just love the opportunities that I presented. Well, it, sounds,
0: it looks like you did a great job with that. And what would your message be to all the players playing the game today, Isaiah, about what is ahead yeah. of them once their NFL career ends and how they should prepare for it?
3: Most definitely. I, I would say, you know, start working on your plan B because – you know I was blessed to come back from all of my injuries, but I had a lot of them right, and it affected how much money I made it affected how long I was gonna be willing to play um I endure so start working on your plan b as much as you're really enthralled and you're really tied into what you're doing your focus um your fine focus on on being the best at your craft and you know obviously going on doing you know making as much money as you can and playing as long a career as you can, but you need to have a smooth transition. I see a lot of people now that are still. You know, waiting in the wins don't really know what direction to go in, and they waste a lot of time. And you know, for you know, a lot of people think that we have the upper hand. It's like, oh, look at the salaries these guys are making, and and look at this life they get to live. And it's like that's that's for a handful of guys. You know, you know, it's much more than any more than anybody. I mean, you know, the contracts they really go to the to the to the top guys, and you need to to know how to transition out of that. You need to know how to position yourself to be successful, um, in, in every other aspect of your life because you know it, it goes fast. You know, it goes, it goes really fast. And, you know, when you get out of the league, you're behind. You know, everybody else who's been in college and planning to go into the workforce, they knew what they wanted to do as sophomores and juniors in college, and they've been working towards that. So if you have a five-, ten-year career, you're that far behind them in a professional setting. So we need to start planning uh, further ahead of time because once we get out of ball, man, we're we're, we're at square one, and they're, they're on to their second-, third-promotions. You know, it's
0: also interesting when you look back at your career, And a lot of people might not realize this, but in 2006, the Baltimore Orioles drafted you despite the fact that you never played baseball in college, and then... You were part of the WWE Performance Center at uh, Full Sail University in Florida, trained to become a wrestler. So you could have been a baseball player, you could have been a wrestler, you were a football player, now you're a public speaker running the fitness program. I mean, you you got a lot going on there, Isaiah.
3: Man, I'm all over the place, man. Yeah, I plan on doing the broadcast boot camp this year, too. Maybe I might get in the booth with you guys, so you never know.
0: (laughs) Well, don't give up on the cause that is type 1 diabetes. You did great work there last week in Washington. And let's continue fighting for your daughter, Nadia, for my wife, Shari, and for all those other people who are afflicted by a disease that I don't think the regular public at large realizes how difficult it is and how much these people have to battle on a daily basis.
3: Most definitely. Most definitely, man. Keep it up.
0: Isaiah, thanks for the time today. Appreciate you joining us. And I look forward to bumping into you down the road.
3: I appreciate it, man. You take care. Thanks so much.
0: Special thanks to my new friend Isaiah Standback for taking the time to raise awareness and funds for type 1 diabetics like his daughter, like my wife, and for all type 1 diabetics out there. We are there to try to help. Thank you to Keyshawn Johnson for stopping by this week as well. Keyshawn spent some time in Bristol from his home in LA. Great to catch up with him again. And also thank you to Robbie Gold, the 49ers new franchise kicker who signed a four-year million extension this week. Please join us again next week for another edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. And if you could believe this, teams will actually be in camp when we come to you next week. Until then, have a great week, everybody.